0: About death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it it won't happen. Sadly this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about and because we don't talk about it often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. Today on the podcast I have a chat with the lovely Lucy Percy from Head and Heart Estate Planning. Lucy is a lawyer that specialises in estate planning and in this episode we chat about the next steps in handling someone's estate after they have passed away. We also have a chat about what happens if someone dies without a will. So thank you, Lucy, for joining us this evening. When someone dies, there's so much to try and think about. And unfortunately, there's also the practical side of things that we often have to think about. Once someone dies, you probably, I imagine, need the death certificate to start those practical aspects of managing someone's estate. How long after someone passes away do you receive the death certificate? Do you know?
1: Yeah, typically about six weeks. So it, it can be anywhere between four and six, but six is typical. And I will, in these COVID times, I will make the point that um, a death certificate is also issued after the burial or cremation. So um, before we started recording, I shared the story that um, my grandmother passed away during COVID and the family paused and waited for restrictions to be lifted in New South Wales for her funeral. The death certificate wasn't issued until about four weeks after the funeral. So um, you'll note on the bottom of the death certificate, it will say the date of burial or cremation. So if you're one of the families that are choosing to wait, that will add to that timeline there.
0: Okay. And I know that the Birth, Deaths and Marriages Department, they're very sensitive when they send out their death certificate. They'll often write on the letter advising people that there is a death certificate inside. Because for some people that can be really confronting receiving that cancer.
1: It is, and and I think um, also it lists the cause of death, and I think to see that repeated back to you in a clinical way can be really difficult. I actually did a story on my Instagram the other day saying I always read the death certificate, and in particular, it's relevant where we have a client who's passed away, and they might have had Alzheimer's or dementia for a period of time. And that will be noted on the death certificate, how long that was. Um, And then they might also note what actually, um, you know, killed them in the end for want of a better expression. So it will have, it will list all the different things. And it's important uh, for the lawyer to be aware of because where the date of the will intersects with the period on the death certificate that they say had Alzheimer's or dementia, when you go to apply for probate, the court will, or has in almost every case for me, requisitioned it and said, hey, look, we've noticed that the the illness overlaps with the date of the will. Would you please provide proof about their capacity? And um, so we do that. It's not a big problem unless you can't prove capacity, but um, yeah, it's always, yeah, you're getting the practice of having a read of them and they're quite um, interesting, but I can see how for family to see that repeated back to you about all the things they were suffering from can be really painful and triggering.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so you mentioned probate there, Lucy. Uh, what is probate? How does that process work?
1: Sure. So probate is a grant or a certificate from the court that acknowledges and says that they have done their due diligence and they agree that this is the last will of the deceased and that they agree that it has been properly executed so it's um, written in the format that the legislation requires and um, that nobody has come forward and said that there's a will by a later date or nobody has come forward and said we don't agree that the person had capacity and so it passes all these little tests behind the scenes and if the court is satisfied that it is the last and true will of the deceased they'll issue of probate that grant of probate, will always name an executor. And it is the legal signal to the rest of the world that the executor can stand in the shoes of the deceased person and deal with their assets and responsibilities and carry out um, their wishes in the will. So um, I suppose it's a little bit like a certificate of authority from the court that they can go on and do their work under the will.
0: Okay, perfect. And so then what things does the executor need to do then after once they've got that permission if you like what do they need to do after someone dies
1: well I suppose the first thing I'll say is that being an appointed an executor is an extremely responsible role and so when I talk to clients about writing a will I do say some of the best advice that I can give you is around what's the executor going to need to do and who in your life is the best executor the role is quite involved and there are time limits on it. So you want the executive to be a type of person who is motivated, good with their own paperwork and has some sort of, you know, understanding of engaging professionals if they need it and following advice and following the steps. So the very first thing they need to do or um, is usually arrange the funeral and locate the original will. So arranging the funeral, I do always tell clients as well, when you choose an executor, make sure that you understand that they will have the full legal discretion to control your body after your death. So that would probably be really relevant in blended family situations. Um, You know, you might name one of your children as your executor, or you might name your Current spouse who might be your adult children's um, step parent, and I think just be aware that that person is going to have full control of your funeral. and If that's not something that you want, um, you could you, you probably need to address that in your documents. So they address the funeral, uh, arrange the funeral, uh, locate the will. They have to go and protect and secure the assets. So in particular, um, if there's a house that's been left vacant. They should do things like make sure that it's locked securely and check that it doesn't, I suppose, look attractive or vacant for too long. So it can take a while to get the death certificate and get probate and start the process of getting a home ready for sale, particularly where it might be an elderly client. Making sure that that house is secure and the contents inside is secure. Making sure the insurance is going to be up to date. Don't let those sorts of things lapse. So this is where the role actually carries a huge amount of legal responsibility. If an executor does fail to protect an asset, so using a you know catastrophic example, but let's say um, an elderly client dies and the executor was meant to make sure insurance on the property was maintained and there's a fire, and that asset that we thought you know in Melbourne was maybe going to be worth one and a half or two mil for the family is now worth half that, just land value. That would be the executor that would have legal liability to those beneficiaries, perhaps. So it it carries a huge amount of responsibility. They contact the beneficiaries, or through their lawyer they might do that, and um, they're going to start the process of applying for probate. An executor, if you're named as executor and you're not intending to accept that role, you need to take steps to renounce that role and step aside because there are legal time limits that we expect executors to run through this process in. And again, if an executor is um, not doing their role and holding back the estate from moving forward for the benefit of the beneficiaries, the beneficiaries can step in and say, well, look, you're not doing the job, we might have to remove you or um, you know, put pressure on them to keep to those timelines as best as possible. They will notify relevant companies of the death. So um, when you're working with your lawyer, if you're using one, generally I always ask clients if I can keep the death certificate, but I'll send them away with 10 certified copies of it so that they can just use it as they need. They're going to need to locate the assets. So part of a probate application is that the executor does work, or through their lawyer usually, you do work to really identify the assets and liabilities at the time of death. And again, you've got to swear that on an affidavit that the inventory is as correct as you can make it. And so once you've identified the assets, then you, you know, ask those companies and things, you know, how do we convert this to cash if that's what we want to do? Or if there's a business, you might have to manage that business. Depending on the structure, you might vote in a new director or you might have to wear that hat yourself They would pay liabilities. They, once probate is returned or given, then you have to start doing things to follow the will. So um, if the will calls for any trusts to be created, you will help create those trusts with the help of your lawyer. And then you'll give all the gifts to the beneficiaries. Um, But obviously following, there's some um, pretty strict advice that we work with, with probate clients about distributing that money you very, or in my case, I try and apply it quite strictly. Another very strict responsibility executives have is not to intermingle their own money with the money of the estate. So you want to be able to show a really clear, I suppose, bookkeeping sort of system that this was the money that came in. This is what 100% of the residue looked like. And this is how we gifted it out in the terms of the will people might not realise that the executor is responsible for making sure the deceased person's personal tax is up to date. And then also when um, an estate is created, that estate will get its own tax file number and also has to file a tax return. So these are the sorts of things that sometimes if an executor isn't aware that they're in their scope of responsibility, if if an executor misses a big tax bill and winds up the estate, again, they would have some degree of um, personal liability to the ATO for missing that. So, yeah, I think think I'd probably impress that I think it's a pretty serious role, but that's, that's a pretty fulsome list of what they do. Probably the last thing that I'll touch on, but I'm sure that you might revisit it another time, is if the estate is going to be contested and the will is going to be challenged, it is the executor who is named as the defendant on all those documents. So managing a deceased estate through litigation or through a contest can be a really onerous task. So um, when you're thinking about who to appoint as executor, maybe just run that list through your mind. And I do have it in a document, so I'm happy to share that with your listeners. That's just literally a dot point of all those things that I've just said.
0: Fabulous yeah it does certainly sound like it's a big role and and often like do people usually tell the executor that they've appointed them in the will beforehand or yeah well the amazing thing is you don't have to so you can name somebody as an executor
1: in your will and you don't have to get them to agree if you contrast that with power of attorney an attorney um, which only operates in lifetime or sort of suggest clients put a really clear line through a power of attorney is before death. Will is after death. You actually have to write to your attorney and they have to sign a document accepting the role, but that's not the case with your executor. Wow. Which is amazing. Um, But I do always recommend to clients to let the executor know that they've been nominated. And as a perfect example, I did have one um, very elderly client who said to me, look, would you please write to my son and just tell him that I'm thinking of putting him as executor in my will? Um, And so I did. And he called me and he said, well, ask dad if he's done his tax returns. He said that his dad hadn't done paid tax or done his tax returns for 30 years. And and so the son said, no, I'm not going to be your executor. (laughs) I don't want to do 30 years worth of tax returns. And um, so... It was good motivation for him to do them. I know that he's working on them still now, but in those sorts of circumstances, maybe even a professional executor, you Mm. can appoint your um, accountant, your lawyer, although lawyers accept that appointment much less now than what they used to. I think that personal liability that we have is enormous. So there would be really very, very limited circumstances where I would say accept an appointment from a client. And there are companies who you can appoint as well. So if you don't have somebody that you trust or um, you think that there's going to be litigation or you've got a really complex estate, you might consider making one of your executives, maybe someone in your family, but maybe another one might, might more properly be a professional and they could bring a lot of value as well
0: yeah that sounds like a good idea and so do you actually you know if it's a straightforward well lucy do you actually need a lawyer to be involved does the insect exec, executor need yeah. a lawyer to be involved
1: no and um from my understanding of it i'll talk to victoria only because that's where i am but the um supreme court of victoria website does have a lot of free resources for um executors who want to apply for probate without the help of a solicitor And, you know, they say, obviously not during COVID, but on their website it says bring it to the counter and swear your affidavit, will help you. They obviously can't tell you what to put in that affidavit or prepare it for you, but there are templates and things like that that people should be able to get a fair way with. So, yes, you definitely can self-represent. My only um, advice would be that I don't think you're going to necessarily really know if the estate has a complexity. If you can identify it, that's great and know when to bring in a lawyer. But sometimes I worry about clients just missing, having a whole side about a little legal matter that might be bubbling away. I think I would always recommend people check with the lawyer if there are any complexities before they go ahead. Just again, you know, you might save some money for the benefit of the estate, which, I'm, you know, is usually shared between a pool of people that you as the executor not using a lawyer are just taking on such a huge risk. And, um, you know, that's really a hundred percent risk on you that you might only get a certain percent of the benefit as a beneficiary. So um, I don't, I would always recommend people use a lawyer. There is um, a value that a lot of banks will release money without brand of probate. So I think when I started practice it might have been about $10,000 and now I think most of the big four banks will release up to $50,000 without a grant of probate. So you, we always say as the executor you're actually legally obliged to get probate but um, practically if it's what we call a small estate, um, a lot of the banks might have rules that will just let you use the death certificate and the will. And they might choose to release without any documents to you.
0: Okay, yeah, perfect. And who takes on the role if there is no will? Like, who sorts everything out if there isn't a will involved? So, this person is
1: called an administrator and they have exactly the same duties as an executor. Their role is given to them not through a grant of probate, but through what we call um, a grant of letters of administration. And what that is, is it's a letter from the court, again, saying to the world that we say that this administrator has the good standing to to deal with the assets of the deceased or the liabilities or the responsibilities. So it works in a very similar way in the powers that it gives them. The court can limit that grant or you might have letters of administration with the will annexed. And then what that means is that the court is not going to recognise that will as being valid for a of probate. It might have failed in some way. For example, it might have failed to gift everything or it might have failed in its construction. So it didn't meet the legal requirements to be called a legally valid will. So there's letters of administration and then we'll have the will attached, which will say we will follow the bits of the will that we can and where the will has um, gaps or holes or deficiency, then we will follow what's called the intestacy provisions. So a person who dies without a will is said to have died intestate. And in each state in Australia, there's a piece of legislation um, called the intestacy provisions, which says who gets what from that estate. And it's a table that says, you know, if there's one partner and two children or one partner and two children from a different marriage and are the children adults or minors is there um you know maybe a second de facto were they, were they in more than one romantic relationship you can sort of follow that table like a decision making tree and it will tell us how to split up the assets of that
0: estate yeah okay Oh, so there's lots of provisions in case that happens. Yeah,
1: you can follow that table right through to where it will, where people say, I don't want the government getting their money. That's in the table. Um, The very last uh, line is that I think it would go to the state or the Commonwealth. And, but, you, but you have to go through all grandparents, cousins, nieces and nephews, great aunts. It, you go through every single variation of a blood relative before you get to that point. The person who applies for letters of administration is the next of kin. And so for the court, if, you're, if the deceased is in a relationship, um, it would properly be that person. Um, And if they don't want to apply, I have had this before where an adult child wanted to apply for letters of administration because her father's partner at the time was the de facto facto, or uh, domestic partner, but they didn't apply. And we needed their consent because she was actually the proper beneficiary under the intestacy table. So she had to give us an affidavit saying I don't intend to apply. I give consent for the daughter to apply um, instead. But that didn't mean that the daughter didn't then have to distribute everything to her. You still have to follow the table. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so what are some of the financial organisations that the executor might need to contact when someone passes away, Lucy?
1: Yeah, so um, hopefully it's harder and harder in the digital age to know where people have their assets. I think when we used to all get our mail in the post, we could you know, look at someone's desk or table or office at home and people would bring a big bag of letters into the office and we'd sort through where we needed to write. In the digital age, this is a little bit more difficult. We encourage clients to leave a list of um, accounts and things like that. But generally speaking, if the executive doesn't know where the assets are, we I would literally just write to all of the big banks and include, you know, all the big four, but also include Bendigo and just say, here's a copy of the death certificate, the person's last address and um, their date of birth. Can you check your records? And did they have an account with you? Because as the executive, you are obliged to provide a, a true and correct inventory to the court. And... You can't just say, um, you know, oh, we didn't know about it, this account popped up later on. You have to actually um, take steps to really prove to the court that you checked. So quite often, if we're not sure where the money might have been or we want to check that there wasn't any more, we will write to um, most financial organisations. In terms of um, writing to notify people of the death, just um, I actually think there might be a list on one of the government websites that says, you know, here's a, here's a list of who to write to.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually the Department of Human Services. I have seen that before and I'll, I'll put a link on the show notes for that as well. But yeah, I think I, yeah, I, it's
1: very fulsome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And you mentioned there, Lucy, about the digital age and the age that we live in. You know, is there any sort of way to deal with our digital footprint, so to speak? You know, all our social media accounts. Or do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think I think it's something we should all be turning our minds to. Certainly on the bigger accounts that most people might have, so um, Facebook or Gmail. Um, I would recommend that they they usually have a legacy security sort of setting that you should log into and nominate someone or nominate a second account. Even your iPhone has a setting that if, you, if the phone identifies that you've had a heavy fall, for instance, it will let the passerby see who your next of kin is to call them. Or I think it can actually call them itself. But there, all of these companies, I suppose the point is not so much the specific advice. But whatever account you have with a major um, organisation, they will have thought about this and just go searching for um, their legacy type settings is sometimes what they're called. So, um, yeah, Gmail certainly has one. If you've had an inactive account for a really long time, um, you can nominate someone for Gmail to contact. Um, Or you can use a password manager. So it's... um, it's hard, sometimes I struggle with this as a lawyer because there each of those organisations or companies like Gmail and Facebook, they have their own terms of use or your Apple, you know, Apple account and things like that. And myself as a lawyer, I can't tell people to breach those um, terms of use. So for instance, it's probably always never give your password to someone else and all that sort of thing. Um, So, there's the practical reality, which might be that, um, you know, using a password manager and storing that with um, someone that you know or trust. um, But then, you you know, you really do have to be mindful that these organisations tell us not to share passwords for a reason. And, um, yeah, you want to protect your ID online. Um, but there are definitely places that you can go to manage them. So password managers like LastPass or OnePassword, um, inactive account managers, Google on your phone, on Facebook, there are definitely settings that you can just log on to and do. Um, there are digital asset storage companies, so you could um, put together all the copies of your um, titles or you know um, digital wallets and um, two-tier passwords for cryptocurrency you start thinking if you have those things about where you're going to store them there's no one central place or answer to this um, the legal community do talk about it quite frequently um, but I suppose the only the best advice I can say is that um, there is no one complete answer but in my mind I always just think well every every little loose end that you tidy up is going to help at the end. Um, so, yeah, every now and then I'll just think, oh, I should find that legacy setting on that account and use it. And I do. I just do them one by one. I'm not, I haven't tackled it in a big go, but I just, um,
0: yeah, have a look around and find it and use it. Yeah, good idea. It's something that, yeah, we don't think about, but it is a big part of our life and our world. And I think there's something, um,
1: you know, Something that I think people might not realise is being an executor of a will will not give you the authority to go to Facebook or to Google Mm. and say, can you open up this account? So they simply won't do that. It's been tested um, in different cases and it's not just your privacy that Google would be waiving if they let your executor get into your emails or get into your Facebook. Everybody who's ever written you an email would then have their privacy breached as well. So, you know, um, I think hopefully that sort of explains um, don't take the power that the um, probate document will give you for granted. These companies um, operate on their own terms and we can't assume that they're going to help us um, when we want their help. So, yeah, the more you can do in your own life, the better it will be for everyone afterwards.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful. Where can we find you, Lucy? you
1: um my website is www.headandheartestateplanning.com.au and I am by the same name in Facebook and also on Instagram I have a very small modest Facebook group called Head and Heart Living where I do just um you know on that really broad broad range of topics thinking about um death, but also living and the things that we can do to organise ourselves better now. I share things as often as I can, um, as, you know, as I attend to something in my own life, like say the the asset management, digital asset management, I'll just share it on the Facebook group and um, yeah, hopefully that just brings value to some people.
0: Yes, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us tonight. We're actually recording this tonight, so I wouldn't blame you. Have you got a cuppa? And is there something stronger inside that cuppa tonight? <laughs> oh, no, I might. Like, I'll make one now. <laughs> uh, I um, yeah. I thought because we were doing this in the evening, it was a good opportunity to put a, something a little stronger there. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you, you so obviously
1: don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't think the same way as I do.
1: <laughs> no, I should.
0: There's a lesson in that for, for me, definitely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. It's just been wonderful. And yeah, you've covered off some wonderful and, and given us some great advice. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Fiona.